You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. Tuesday, August 29th, and I should be at the soccer fields right now. But the club decided to cancel practice because weather might be bad. Weather is perfect right now in Dalton. I don't know how it is in Cartersville. But not only did the club cancel practice, but so did the middle schools, the city schools, because, ooh, it might rain. I know this is the south, and if there's even a threat of a snow flurry, Everybody cancels work and buys out all the milk and bread. I get it. That's how we live. But are we really running away from rain right now? Ah! I'm going to do that again. Ah! So instead of going to soccer practice, and I had scheduled an extra special soccer practice today for my goalkeepers. Instead of going to soccer practice, I just worked. I stayed in the office and worked because what else am I going to do? If I didn't have family and I didn't coach soccer I, or basketball, if I didn't have kids, I didn't coach anything, I would pretty much stay at work constantly and then leave whenever Alabama football happened. That's what I'd do because I like what I do. And because I was doing something interesting today, I stayed till very late at 7 o'clock. My wife's going to be like, why would you stay so late? That's not how she talks. I don't know, why did you she didn't talk like that. But that's how somebody who's mad at me talks in my mind. Why did you do this? Why did you stay so late? I'm like, because I was calculating the cost of yarn, primary backing, coating, tufting overhead, coating overhead, and SGNA overhead to create the perfect up-to-date calculator for a piece of artificial turf. That's what I was doing, and I'm not finished with it. But I'm 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 three quarters of the way through, and I can already tell that it's going to be the cost is going to be what I would have just guessed. If you've been in the business long enough, whatever business it is, and somebody says, "Well, what does a widget cost?" I cost a dollar. What if it's a blue widget? Dollar twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> And then you look, well, hold on, let me do a thousand complex calculations on the computer. Oh, really? Because a blue widget's $1.24.8. That's what I told you. So I've done a lot of work today to determine that the turf costs what I think it does. (laughs) Romeo Crennel, it costs what I thought it did. If you guys remember, was that Romeo Cornell who says they are who we thought they were? And we let them win. We let them escape. That's one of my favorite post-game coaching conferences. <coughs> All right. <coughs> I'm coughing my head off here. Okay. Full show for you today. And it's going to be the last one this week. Unless somebody writes in to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Seth Dunn 88 at gmail.com or dials dials 470-315-0875 and gives me a question about Christ, Christian theology and apologetics. Because I got one last question and this is it. I got an email 
from Aaron in Texas. I said, oh, I got a question. It wasn't. It was just a comment on another show. Like, she said, well, I didn't believe you about all this stuff you're talking about. About cradle to grave and all this age group catering. And then I asked somebody in seminary. And they really... I'm not making this stuff up. They really do this. Okay. And, you know, I could be... Maybe I'm a little too cynical about it, but I don't think so. But this is real. There's people sitting around planning this stuff up. As Robert Tilton... I don't make this stuff up. I've seen midgets grow. I wish I had made up some of the stuff that I, quote-unquote, learned in seminary, but I didn't. <sighs> but that was just a commentary. And what was helpful about her email, she looked up the generations, because I said like I, I had baby boomers in between seniors, and I, I think baby boomers are the senior citizens now. I should probably turn that, the old adult parents of adult children episode, I should turn that into Gen Xers. Anyway. All that to say is Aaron wrote me an email, but not a question. And thus my hopes were dashed. But I do have one left, and it's about modalism. That's modalism, Patrick. That's modalism. And we were talking about the Trinity Sunday in Sunday school. In fact, I think the whole church is, because we're all going through the same unit. If we talk about cradle to grave, I think every Sunday school class in the church is going through, like, you know, it's obviously age-appropriate or age-modified. The kids and the old people are all going through the same packet. It's supposed, it's supposed to take four years. And it's not from Lifeway. It's answers in Genesis. So we're going to learn about how the evolution is not true science. But I'm going to talk about the Trinity today. It's a question about oneness Pentecostalism. Sort of. That's sort of what the question's about. And the show topic... As you know, we continue into this series, uh, Grave to Cradle, starting with the old age groups at church and going all the way down to the babies in the nursery of how customer relationship management works at church. We're going to talk about college and career. We're going to talk about that college and career group. These are the people who graduated high school. All right, They're out of the youth group. But they are not young married yet. So that's who we'll talk about when we get to it. But first, as always, we're doing the Bible chapter review. We're continuing in Matthew 24 and verses 15 through... Did I write that down right? 29? That can't be right. 15 through 29. I mean, there's no way I wrote that all on a sticky note. No way. It's verse 20. It's not verse 29. I don't know. Why, why did I write 29? Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 29. By the way, if I haven't mentioned it, this is called the Olivet Discourse. This is Matthew's version of the Olivet Discourse. Mark has a version of it too. And you know what? I looked it up today. I looked it up while I was refreshing spreadsheets. I looked it up after lunch. I covered Mark 13, which is the parallel text, the synoptic. Ooh, there's a seminary word. The synoptic text that relates to this, that's parallel to this in the life and story of Jesus. And that was in 2021. January of 2021. 
And I was flicking back through the shows, trying to get from Matthew to Mark. Guys, we've been Matthew for a long time. I was worried about running out of Bible. And, I mean, we're in Matthew 18. And what, what does it go to? I think it goes to, what, 28? It goes to 28. i got 10 more chapters to go. So, I don't think I'm going to run out of Bible anytime soon. I was, I was going so far back. I, was, I worked at Field Turf when I did this. I was going back. It was like COVID was going on when I talked about the Olivet Discourse at Mark 13. All right. That's just a little by way of history. Why was I look, looking it up? I wanted to make sure I said the same thing this time as I did last time. Every once in a while, somebody asks the same question twice, or I'll go through the same Bible chapter twice, or the same story twice. I want to make sure that I'm uh, consistent. Not just right about what the Bible means, but consistent. And the reason I did a double check on this one is because this is a confusing and debated passage vis-a-vis preterism and futurism. Some of this has already uh, happened. Like, okay, so Jesus is talking and it's about to happen. So some of it by now has already happened and some of it hasn't happened yet because he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming, the end times, and he's talking about it at the same time. So some of the things he says are going to happen then and some of the things are in the future. And there's debate on this tribulation he's talking about. Did it happen in 70 AD? Or has some of it haven't happened yet? So that's why I went sure to make sure what I said is consistent with what I said before. Because this can be somewhat confusing. Especially the phrase... I mean, it's not a confusing phrase. This generation will not pass away until these things happen. Because that generation passed away and some of this stuff happened. But, you know, the moon hasn't turned to blood yet. We'll get to that. But it's gonna. Therefore, starting in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out of the house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those women who are pregnant And to those who are nursing babies in those days, moreover, pray that when you flee, it will not be in the winter or a Sabbath. So that was tough because my handwriting was pretty messy today. Because that's more Bible verses, 6, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 26, than I usually fit on a sticky note. The abomination abomination of desolation spoken of in the prophet Daniel. You can go back to Daniel and read about it. Now what's interesting is, in the view of some, the abomination of desolation prophesied in Daniel already took place before this. When Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid ruler, used the Jewish temple for pagan sacrifices. 
like sacrifices to Zeus and sacrificing a pig, which, oh my gosh, you can't put an unclean animal in there. Many people view that as the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Many people view it as a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. I think here Jesus is talking about something that has clearly not happened yet. And when he says, let the reader understand, as I said in January of 2021, he's speaking. No one's reading. They're listening to him. We're reading what he said. I think he's thinking about people who are reading Daniel, that they need to understand that prophecy. Oh, and by the way, the people at that time would have been familiar with what Antiochus and, and Epiphanes had done. I, I have this nagging feeling that I'm mispronouncing his name. That uh, Antiochus is right. It's him. Epiphanes. And it's Seleucid. Because you know on every show, I'm like, was it the Seleucids or the Ptolemies? It's Seleucid. Seleucid dynasty that rose up after Alexander the Great died. So they would have been well aware of what happened in the intertestamental period there with that guy. Stuff like that was one of the reasons for the Hashemonian Rebellion. Anyway. I think Jesus is talking about something that hasn't happened yet. In that time. And he says, uh, flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. And I think he's talking about people in Jerusalem. So why should they have to flee to the mountains? Because the city's being destroyed. It's very violent. And again, if you think, well, this could be the Romans coming in and sacking Jerusalem, which we know they did in 70 AD. Because Jesus is saying all these things like, well, you know, don't even go back for anything. Don't turn to, don't go back to your, if you're, Flee from the field when it happens. Don't go back if you leave your coat. If you're on your rooftop, don't go down in your house and try and, and pack. Just get out. He says, woe to pregnant women and women who are nursing. Well, why is that? Because it's hard to travel with a baby and when you're pregnant, when you don't have the accoutrements of home. Fleeing to the mountains. Because what happens in ancient times when somebody comes in and sacks your city? You just got to run. You got to run off to the wilderness. Hopefully you get away from the army and come back to town when the war is over. After it's burned down, when people are through killing. And let me tell you, let me tell you this, guys. Like the, the war that we are familiar with right now is the war in Ukraine. And Russia is you know, hitting some apartment buildings with bombs. And probably some women are getting raped. That happens in war. But you're not hearing a whole lot about it. Like entire cities full of people are not getting slaughtered. That's how war worked back then. The pagan army marches up and just slaughters everybody. Okay. So this is talking about a very horrific scene. He says, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or the Sabbath. Why? Because you don't want to be out in the cold without your cloak that you had to leave in the field and when he says a Sabbath, I don't think he means the Sabbath. Like, pray that this doesn't happen on Saturday. I think he's talking about a Sabbath festival. 
because the Sabbath festival, you know, people are not working. It's a Sabbath festival. Uh, and people are relaxed. They're not prepared for something like this, like they are you ever, like on any other given day. I think that's what he means. Now, if you're thinking about this in terms of a future event, you start thinking, like, what do I care if it's winter? winter? It's 2020. I have, like, ten coats. My, my, if I have to flee and my key is sold to the wilderness, I've got, I've got heat in here. So, traveling as a nursing mother in the winter is not as hard as it used to be. Plus, we don't have Sabbaths anymore. So, that's one reason to think this already happened. But, we'll see from the subsequent verses, there's other reasons to think this is a tribulation that is not yet to happen. But something's... When Jesus is talking, something's coming, and it's going to be bad. Not like Tony in West Side Story. Something's coming. No, it's going to be bad. Although I guess Tony did die at the end of West Side Story. Spoiler alert. He meets Maria. Today the world was just an address. A place for me to live in. You know, because he, he, he knew something was coming. And he, oh, it's, I'm in love. But then you, you get killed by the, the sharks. Anyway, uh, now I'm on West Side Story. Do I sit around in my office listening to the entire score of West Side Story? <laughs> Sometimes, not today. Tonight, tonight, I'll finish the show tonight. Okay. By the way, tonight, tonight, this could happen. There's a lot of songs that say tonight, tonight. There's tonight, tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins. There's tonight, uh, tonight, tonight, tonight. Whoa. Is that Phil Collins or Genesis? It could be Phil Collins in Genesis or Phil Collins separate. Anyway, let's talk about the Eschaton rabbit trail. Sorry, raining it back in. Jesus is warning them, remember, about violence and destruction and, and the end times. I will say this. I think as he's speaking in this discourse, he is speaking of things that are going to come later. But he's also talking about some things that are going to happen now. And I think the destruction of Jerusalem covers that. And for what it's worth, I am a pre-mill guy. I think you would call my position, and I'm not real great on eschatological terms, progressive covenantalism as a view of Israel that is like historic pre-mill. Why is it historic pre-mill? Because it ain't Darby pre-mill. And we already talked about that. I'm finally driving into the rain. I could have practiced for 15 minutes by now. Listen, if it rains on me, I'm, I don't stop practice. I don't do it. By the way, the Bible chapter review is over. I told my daughter practice was canceled last night. She goes, but we're dragons. We get pneumonia. And what she meant by that was we're going to go out in the rain and practice. But they don't want to mess up the fields. We just got new grass. It's, it's getting really hard to kick 
because there's grass. There used to be dirt. The ball just rolled. All right, here's a question from James in Texas. He's basically like, uh, what's the deal with Phillips, Craig, and Dean with, with regards to modalism and orthodoxy? And here's what James did. He cited a nine-year-old, nine, nine-year-old article from Pulpit and Pen written by Jordan. It was called Phillips, Craig, and Dean is Discernment Dead. And I actually skimmed through it today, and I was like, you know what? There was nobody better than Jordan at writing those articles. He was, woo, the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. Wait, that's not Ric Flair. Ric Flair's the man. That's Bret Hart. He was the, be- the JD. Writing those discernment articles, doing the podcast of polemics, nobody better. Nobody. And uh, this was an article that was just vintage JD. And it, it's from 2014, and the controversy was this. Phillips, Craig, and Dean, maybe you've heard of them. I had never heard of them at the time because I don't listen to Christian radio, was one of these you know Dove Award-type bands, one of these Christian, contemporary Christian bands, but they were oneness Pentecostals. They came from a oneness Pentecostal church, and that, that's a modalism church, not, not just Pentecostal. There's a bunch of Pentecostal musicians that everybody wants to listen to. I think the Gaithers are Pentecostal. But they were oneness Pentecostal in that they had a heretical view of the Trinity. And in 2014, the Texas Baptist Convention, I forget which one because there's two, booked them, I think the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas, booked Phillips, Craig, and Dean to come play worship songs at their state convention. And this caused a lot of controversy in the world of people who even know about things like this. Because why would you hire heretics? And it's not like baby sprinklers. And it's not like hooba-dooba Pentecostal people. It's people who deny the or- an orthodox view of the Trinity. This is very, very serious heresy. Why would you hire these people to come play your state convention? I mean, the answer is because it's popular songs. And they don't have any discernment. And it's amazing what was true then is still true now and that Bart Barber is an idiot. Because Bart Barber was defending it. I'll tell you what, J- JD, J.D. has actually known Bart Barber's family since his youth. And he knows more than anybody that Bart Barber is just an idiot. And by the way, you, why, why does that matter? Bart Barber is now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Who would have thought nine years ago some mid-sized uh, Texas pastor who's an SBC Voices guy would be SBC president? So if you want to talk about horrible leadership in the executive committee like we had, like we did this morning, don't forget that Bart Barber is an absolute idiot. And this is interesting for me because this was before I was a blogger or a podcaster. I was just uh, open, not open-minded, but uh, how about not cynical? A non-cynical young seminary student. Not young in life, because I think I was probably 20, what was this, 10 years ago? I was 31 years old. Um, But young in my seminary. I was a member of First Baptist Woodstock. I still thought Johnny Hunt was a good person. And I remember riding to New Orleans. This is in January. Was it January or May? I was riding to New Orleans 
with Mark Lamprecht for for some seminary workshops. And Mark Lamprecht was a blogger. He's like, I got a blog. Here I blog.com. And I was like, oh, I think blogging's stupid. Uh, and then I became a blogger. And Mark Lamprecht was, uh, he went to First Baptist. I think he still is sort of a Johnny Hunt sycophant. You know what? I need to get on Facebook because it suggested Mark Lamprecht as a Facebook friend for me and said, Hey, Mark! Mr. Johnny Hunt sycophant. I was right, wasn't I? Uh, so Mark was was in with Johnny Hunt, and uh, he was a blogger. And on the way there, I think we were in this. Were we in this car? I'm, I think I borrowed this car from my parents because it was brand new to drive it to New Orleans. I was in this Kia, and he was telling me about this blog he was writing about Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And I said, who are they? They're like, they're modalists. I was like, okay. Why do we care about them? Because they're, they're going to be at the Texas Baptist Convention. They've, they've hired modalists. And he was writing a blog about it. He was on his iPhone texting people about it. And I remember being like, who cares? <laughs> but that was my first experience into a controversy in blog world. Has nothing to do with James's question other than that, hey, I remember this. And that's what I started to realize. All the people running these conventions are either idiots, like Barb Barber, who's in Texas, or they just don't care because all they care about is numbers and money, or maybe it's both. And the way that the controversy was sort of put to bed or avoided is they got Phillips, Craig, and Dean to sign that they affirmed the Baptist faith and message. And this was the outrage caused, or J.D.'s outrage was like, so what if they signed a document saying that they believe the, the, the Baptist faith and message? Here's a bunch of other doc- documents in history. One guy wrote a modalist textbook. This other guy is a modalist minister. We're talking about the people in Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And he would go to the websites of their churches. You could go look at the article. And like, here's a modalist statement straight from their website. Unless they come out and specifically repudiate modalism, why should we believe that they aren't modalists? Oh, because they signed the BFM. But do you understand that in their mind, because of semantics, a modalist could sign that document and still be a modalist? And some of you guys might not remember this, because language matters. When Ed Litton was elected president of the SBC, people started looking at his church's website, and he had a modalistic statement of faith. They had to change it. Guys, modalism is a heresy. And so you could say, you could make an orthodox statement of faith. I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, great. That's true. That's an orthodox Trinitarian statement. Yeah, but a modalist could say that too. So when a heresy is developed, and this the heresy of modalism was first called Sabellianism, when a heresy is developed, it sounds a lot like orthodoxy with just a couple of bits of nuance. So when the church responds to that heresy with a council, ecumenical council, or some kind of statement, or some kind of creed, like the Apostles' Creed or the Athanasian Creed, they say, this is not true. They have to say something negative. 
So somebody like Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and J.D. pointed this out in his article, can say, oh, we believe the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, but the Apostles' Creed wasn't addressing modalism. So it's basically the idea of just because somebody tells you something or signs a document doesn't mean they really believe it. And this was perhaps providential timing because what was I talking about this morning? Jonathan Howe can tell me he's a conservative, Bible-believing Baptist, but I don't believe him because his church membership is at a CBF church and his wife is a minister there. So Phillips, Craig, and Dean could sign the Baptist faith and message and say they believe it. Yeah, but you guys have been oneness Pentecostals for all these years and you haven't repudiated it. And you're probably just, in your own minds, twisting the words of the Baptist faith and message to say you believe it. Because Pentecostals can sign the Baptist faith and message all day long. All day long. It's a very broad statement. And for those of you who are like, what's modalism? Maybe you're new. Modalism is the belief that God is three persons, but not all at once. So he's God the Father, and then he shifts modes, almost like Optimus Prime, Turning, turning, turning from a turning from a biped to a tractor trailer, he shifts modes from the father to the son, and then when he's done being the son, he shifts modes into the Holy Spirit. You can see why this Pentecostalism comes into play here. One, this Pentecostalism, because they think the Holy Spirit's causing them to roll around on the ground, say hoobadooba, and and lengthen people's legs. All right. So. The Trinitarian position is that God is always the Father, always the Son, and always the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, the Father's not the Son and not the Holy Spirit. The Son's not the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit's not the Father and the Son. And you may have heard of this analogy about water vapor, ice, and water being an analogy for the Trinity because God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a great analogy for modalism. And the Texas Baptists hired modalists to give them a concert at their Baptist convention when really those were people who needed to be witnessed to, not hired. Kind of like Jonathan Howe needs to be witnessed to, not hired. Now, were Phillips, Craig, and Dean trying to turn anybody into modalists in the Baptist convention? No. Is the Baptist convention attended by people who are susceptible to modalism? Probably not. It's mostly passengers and messengers from the church who, wouldn't, if they were modalists, they wouldn't be pastors in the Baptist church. It's just engaging heretics for fun and profit. And then trying to be, oh, well, they signed this document. Not everybody is John Proctor who won't sign the false confession and say, Leave me my name! It is my name! Academy Award winner, Daniel Day-Lewis. His retirement is a great loss for the movie industry. Because I have no other! Anyway. Proverbs says, Good name is more valuable than silver and gold. And when you think of Phillips, Craig, and Dean, you think modalism heresy. When I think of Bart Barber, I think of idiot. And when I think of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think compromised. So thank you, James, for writing in about that nine-year-old article. And by the way, I tried to make that question about 
Guys, it's important to be discerning and observe all you know, not just what people are saying. Because I'm not going to do a question about, hey, here's this article, can we talk about it? Because not everybody's read it and not everybody will. It's like when people get on their podcast and be like, all right, we're going to review the last episode of Mandalorian. And to do that, you have to have watched all the Mandalorians in every Star Wars movie and show ever. And then they, they talk about it for 45 minutes to get to the point. This is the way. All right, let's talk about Grave to Cradle. College and career. And hey, talk about being cynical, Aaron. This is one of those that churches are not making money on. Because these people don't have any money. And a lot of them are transient. So here's what happens in the the little church model they've put you in. You are born and you go to the nursery. And then after you turn four, you go from the pre-K area to the kids area where you have a more robust Sunday school lesson. And then when you're in middle school and high school, you now have a youth pastor. You have graduated from the kids minister, and we must call her, I'm sorry, kids director, because God forbid we call the kids director a pastor because she's always a woman. And I'm sorry if you're a kids pastor and you're you're a dude. I, I don't know about you. I just don't know about you. The one guy I know who's a kids pastor seems pretty effeminate to me. I've talked about that. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> it's you, Peter. It's you. Uh, anyway, the director, you get a nursery director, a kids director, but now you get a youth pastor in your middle school and high school years, and they take you on rafting trips and short-term mission trips to be free labor in some church in Kentucky that probably just could have taken the money you spent and hired contractors for the free labor. Uh, and they, you know, I don't know, you have a Nerf war or whatever you do. I wish they'd let me. I mean, sometimes they have a Nerf war for the kids at church. I'm like, Can I play? I like Nerf war. Why, why, why can't the adults play Nerf war? I want to play Nerf war and go get L.A.J. or go get apples and L.A.J., Okay. I, the, the, the activity you're having for the people my age, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go play golf. I want to have a Nerf war, and I want to go buy apples. I want to go to the hymn sing. Anyway, when, once you graduate from high school, you're not a youth anymore, and they pray you keep coming to church. But here's what you do. You go off to college. So now, most weekends of the year... You're not even in the same town as your local church where you've been baptized and joined, hopefully. So at the college, they will have the Baptist Student Union for you to have uh, Christian community engagement, and they'll have preachers and Bible studies there. But there will also be churches in those college towns who have groups for the college kids. And this is truly a selfless ministry of these churches. So think of a church in Athens like Bellhaven Baptist Church, okay? And it's uh, it's right there. What road is that? Is that is it near Alps? On is it on Gaines School? I forget, I forget what road it. I've been there. I know that they have a college and career ministry for people who go to UGA and listen. They're college kids who don't have any money. They're living on student loans or whatever their dad gives them. And if they do have a job, 
They're just scraping by. These are people that are not putting anything in the church coffers, and they're going to be gone in four years when they graduate. And those churches are just giving a home to those people, and they got a Sunday school class for them. Praise God for that. That's really good. I mean, they're just they're just trying to be church to those people who are temporaries. And by the way, there's churches like that near military bases where there's very few people who are permanent members of the church and they minister to the military families who are there and they know they're transient. They're, they're not going to put $10,000 in the legacy fund to build a new building. But for those uh, churches who expect people to stay around, they will have college and career ministries. They'll have the Sunday. It's the Sunday school class. Well, all right, it's the youth. You don't you don't go to the youth worship service anymore, and you're not in the young marrieds class. And but you're, we're going to put you in a co-ed class now. But nobody's married, and it's college and career. College is you graduated and went to college. Career is you didn't go to college. We can't call it college because you might feel bad that you didn't go. You work at Jiffy Lube. All right, Jiffy Lube guy. You know, you need to go to Sunday school. Stay here. Jiffy Lube guy probably has money because he's got a job. College and career. And here, I think, is what they hope, especially at the bigger churches with college and career ministries, that people will meet there, get married, and stay there. So if you've got preferably a woman, Preferably a good-looking woman. If you've got a good-looking young single girl in your college and career class or your college and career group and you have, like, the singles events, they probably go play bad music and then they go bowling. I don't know what they do. I don't want to be a part of their group. They're not doing a Nerf War. And, like, invite other singles in town for Christian singles ministry. And what they hope is, like, that woman will meet the guy, and they'll get married, and then he'll stay at the church with her, and then they will move into the young marrieds, and they'll go up and down the line. Okay? So this is one of those lost leaders in that these people don't have a lot of money, but if you can galvanize them at the church and their relationships at the church, then it'll work out. You know, in in the first century, I think this would have been great, say, when marriages were arranged, but I don't think, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put it this way, don't get offended if you met your wife at church. I don't think a lot of socially adept, good-looking people are meeting their wives at the college and career group, because you're going to see a beautiful woman out in public like I did, and be like, I must have it. I must have her. Please, God, God, let her be a Baptist. And I always tell young people I work with when they're in college, I say, you know, I'm, I'm working with juniors or seniors who are interns, and I'm like, do you have a fiance? I'm like, no, you better get engaged before you graduate college. Because if you don't, the only place to meet people is at work and church, and they're the leftovers that nobody wanted. Okay? The desirable people are getting married younger and younger. And when you're 24... And you're at the you're at the singles college and career ministry. You're a leftover, and the other people are leftovers that nobody wanted to marry. Sorry, that's how it works. But hey, these people have money just like everybody else. You know, they need love and companionship. You know, when God made Adam, He made Eve a companion for him. All men need companionship, not just good-looking ones. You know, ugly people need love too. I'm just saying, I think the more socially inept and unattractive people 
are meeting their spouses in the college and career group. That's all I'm saying. Now, asterisk, dot, 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 I will say that it's probably good to meet people there because I would assume those are where the moral people are because when you think about the scene out there, say, for example, I, I was in Athens in college, the scene to meet people a lot of times is the bar culture downtown. Everything revolves around drinking in the college scene, which good Christians aren't doing, and there's a lot of promiscuous sex. So if you want to meet a good Christian young lady, you will probably find her at the Baptist Student Union or find her in the College of in career group. You are not going to find her out downtown carousing around living like a heathen. Okay? Wearing one of those tight sweater dresses. It's fall in Athens. The sweater dresses are coming. Okay? Much to the joy of the young men there. Well, I, I was in my driveway once and I, I'm, I might have been 20, 19, 20 years old and I was home. <laughs> And somebody had invited me, like was driving around the neighborhood inviting people to one of these events. And it was a singles event. And she came up in my drive by, hi, I'm from, I think it was a Methodist church. And, you know, we're having this event. I didn't have a girlfriend. Let me tell you something. Not because I'm not smart, athletic, and good looking, because I ain't, or I was. I was good looking. I'm not like a 10, but I could get by. If you, if you, you, a lot of people you've never seen me before, but I mean, on, if if you're rating a man oh, one through a ten, I'm on the five. I'm on the five to ten side, not the not the one to five. Okay, I'm not knocking anything out of the park. I'm a decent looking person. I need a nose job. And I'm good at most any sport I try, and my IQ sky high. So you'd think I would have a lot of girlfriends. No, because I'm autistic and I'm horrible to be around, and girls especially can't stand me. So I haven't dated a lot in my life so I'm 19 I'd like a date in my driveway and this girl comes up and invites me to the singles dinner at some Methodist church and I think what I told her is well I'm not because what is the autistic person going to say well I'm not Methodist (laughs) I'm not Methodist I'm Baptist so you can come anyway and somebody saying that to me is like why would I go to a Methodist church I'm a Baptist but I realize there are other people, the doctrinal jellyfish people, if they meet a girl at a church group and the church group knows this, they've got him. Because he cares, uh, like he's like 90% pretty girl, 10% doctrine. Or I'll say this, girl who's attractive to him. Because we've already established that a lot of the girls there aren't pretty. And I'll tell you, I want to tell you this, this is the truth. The, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. It just comes natural. That the girl who came to invite me to this Methodist mixer was not a good-looking girl, and, like, and I mean the I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> if you want me to come to your Methodist mixer, send somebody better looking, because I'm not going with you. And doesn't that seem so seem so horrible? No, we're Christians. We're gathering together. But yeah, it's Christian singles. Like, you're not going around inviting married people. This is not koinonia fellowship around Christ. It's, we're all single and that's why we're there. Like, we're looking for something more than just koinonia fellowship. Okay? So, send me somebody good looking. I remember when I had to get my friend Michael Clark, and I've talked about this before on the show, when I had to get him out of the cult 
at UGA because the, the cult had found him. The International Church of Christ cult. And I had to go down Sunday morning to where they were meeting. You know, they, they were meeting at the Tate Student Center at that time. And this big group. They knew we were new. And they sat us right down in front. And I noticed by the prettiest girls they had there. And you think in any given gathering in Athens, Georgia, there's going to be some beautiful women. It's just how numbers work. These were the prettiest girls they had. Because the cult, by the way, finds losers in the lunchroom who are eating by themselves. They, they, I can't can't believe you're calling people losers. They find people who, how about this, who are struggling with with their social interactions because they're they're new in college and they haven't made any friends and they're eating alone in the lunchroom. People without social connections. Some may call them losers. Okay, seems harsh. So the college and career ministry. Not just the Sunday school class, because these all have Sunday school classes. But the events are designed to put people with Christian values, with other single people in Christian values, in the hopes that they will marry and raise a family at the church. So when you talk about things in terms of customer relationship management, these are the new customers that are expensive to get that you hope will become the old customers that are inexpensive to retain. Because as we've said before, a principle of business and sales is that it is cheaper to retain an existing customer than it is to go out and win the business of a new one. Think about this. I got, this woman, I got married in this church. We stood right there before God. I can never leave here. And we know, we know, who does church cater to with the effeminate worship music? It caters to women, okay? So the college and career ministry is about getting the women in there and then pulling in the adoctrinal, adoctrinal men who would probably be out, rather be out playing golf or something. And you get them and you get their money. Okay. Somebody's saying, well, no, you lead them to Jesus and you disciple them. Okay, you know, I hope so. But the reason they're doing all these groups is to get the groups together and, and get the money and get the numbers. All right. You guys might think in your head that church growth is about sharing the gospel and discipleship and then numbers naturally come after. That's not how the church industry is run. Numbers come up front, and then if anybody gets saved and discipled, well, that's great. That's just great. So that is the episode about uh, college and career. Grave to cradle. The lost leadership that is the college and career ministry. And they will have a hip little pastor if the megachurch budget is big enough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again on Thursday. What are we going to talk about Thursday? Oh, we're the, we're the, we're the youth. We're the youth now. We're the, I, I, am I going to? I don't know if I'm going to split up middle school and high school. And how many times have I done a youth pastor or youth ministry episode? <laughs> I don't know, but it's going to be whatever that number is plus one. 
So we're going to do Grave to Cradle Youth Ministry. Lord willing, on Thursday. Thanks for listening. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to sethdunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.